0: Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today, I am joined by Oliver Patrick. Oliver is a physiologist and well-being consultant with over 23 years of experience in the health, fitness, and well-being space. I'm so excited to be joined by Oliver. We met recently and straight away, the first thing I thought when I heard him speaking, presenting this wonderful presentation, was I have got to get this guy on the podcast. So Oliver, welcome.
1: Oh, it's a delight to be here, so thrilled. And I'd listened to this before we met, so I knew you before you knew me which sounds creepy actually when you say it like that
0: no I feel like that day we had like a mutual like a mutual love thing going on it was it was big
1: kindred spirits I think you know we we are in the same space trying to achieve the same thing and and as with all these things it needs lots of expert voices with different perspectives but if we're trying to move the dial on well-being we need to be working as a team
0: Yes, absolutely. So there's a lot of things that we could discuss because we do work in similar spaces and we do a lot, I think, at the moment with corporate wellbeing. So, you know, going into speaking to organisations about how they can help their employees, especially with the switch to hybrid work. I know that we both have, yeah, lots of things I think that we could discuss today that hopefully will be very impactful for the listeners. And so I'm going to try and keep it focused and, and maybe just pick two or three topics because I honestly think we could just talk for, well five hours but sadly we've only got one so the first area that I'd like to talk to you about is energy now when I say energy I don't mean energy and vibes and you know like how to like feel good and I mean it is feeling good but I think you know I'm a bit of a A data geek, you know, I like the science of things. I am quite skeptical, I'd say. My personality type is often quite skeptical. So when I think about energy and I think about energy management, I often, you know, I speak to lots of people, and a lot of the people I speak to will say to me, they just want to feel good. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to have more energy. Now, I'd say about 10% maybe of the population, maybe less, are you know, the health and fitness kings and queens of the world that are really focused on optimal health. They're on peak performance, elite athletic condition, you know, less than 10%. But I'd say everybody else, the rest of the world, actually, I think what they care about is overall health. So the fundamental things that they need to feel good, to live their life without pain, without discomfort, without low energy, without low mood. And so when I talk about energy... That is what I'm focused on. It's about how can people feel good? How can they wake up in the morning and not say, I still feel tired? And I think as well, it's important to kind of say, well, why? If someone's saying to me, you know, Adrian, I I feel tired all the time. I don't have any energy. Like, what can I do? How can I get more energy? I think important thing to focus on the why is that it's not about blame and shame mm. because i think we i think i see that a lot in our industry a lot of people that kind of say well you know these things are so easy and these things are so obvious you know and it's like there's a the truth is i think there's a lack of education in some for some people there might be lifestyle challenges there might be resource and economic challenges you know having the money and the time in the space Uh, accessibility you know the list goes on and on and on so i just don't think it's helpful i wanted to put that out at the start i don't think it's helpful when people go well these things are obvious and these things are free and you know everyone should know and do these things because it's not the same for everyone but bringing it back to the idea of energy feeling good i'm gonna push this over to you oliver to say if people want to just think about those fundamental pillars just to be feeling good not extraordinary not peak not superhuman but just to feel good every day where should they start
1: it's it's the best question to start with i love this question deeply because you know and, and i think you know in that question we're going to try and answer this democratically so i think you know something we're both trying to do is spread well-being beyond those who already have a, a strong well-being core mm-hmm. yeah and i love the biohackers and i love the people the self-optimized and the quantified self i love them if you're out there i love you <laughs> um but i'm also interested in people who've been left behind by well-being because it's felt like an exclusive club that you need to have a certain aesthetic or, or you know, commercial uh, capability to get into. When I think about energy, I think back to when I started in health screening, which was sort of my bread and butter, and the, the sort of false illusion I had that people were interested in the prevention of disease, and we're saying, look, if you don't do this, you may have a seven percent increased risk of, uh, you know, cardiovascular disease when you're sixty, and you've got this thirty-two year old in front of you going tell me something I care about pal you know it's intangible doesn't make any sense no one knows what a heart attack is until they have one mm. then it becomes interesting and the sort of preventative health agenda i felt was a very difficult domain to drop into because it wasn't a strong enough incentive as i got more and more into sort of you know v- very more complicated health assessments and those conversations broadened we got into the topic of energy and in energy we had a you know a topic that's relevant to everyone you know does everyone have the energy they feel they ought to have The energy they used to have, the energy they see people on Instagram have, which is often a false Mm -hmm. energy. Um, But, you know, there is without a doubt, you know, from a societal point of view, there is an energy crisis. And I'm not talking about, you know, Ukrainian um, gas lines. We we have a fatigued population at a level that I would gamble has never been this severe before. And I think there's many contributing factors to that. So I have been fascinated by the physiological mechanisms that would give someone that vavavoom va voom when they jump out of bed in the morning. I've also worked with clinical populations who've got recognized fatigue disorders where they have slept well and woken up unrefreshed. And, and we, when we're talking about energy, we, we would do some favor to those populations to say not everything is solved through curation of, of improved lifestyle things Can be improved in almost all cases by lifestyle, but um, if lifestyle isn't the cause, then it may not be the solution. Um, and if we have time, we might talk about some clinical reasons for low energy. But I think you know, for me, energy is, is the commodity I use to leverage well being because mm. it's tangible, people sort of get it. And um, I do want to wake up with more energy not just that first hour, I don't want the mid afternoon energy slump, I want the energy that gives me clarity of strategic thinking. And mm. um, lots of people taking their nootropics to try and get their brain in in optimised fashion but you know low energy will significantly affect cognition and certainly strategic thinking when I've got low energy that makes harbouring difficult relationships challenging Mm. so good relationships are a doddle but what about that you know challenging uncle or, or that person that you know you need to reach out to but they drain the living life out of you you know so I think we get the expression of, of energy through our physical domains is in do I feel, you know, revved up, ready to rock, mm. my mental domain and, and my and my, you know, if you like emotional domains. Mm. And actually that reflects that there are sort of four main sources but from which I draw my energy. So the physical capability to combust energy, which I would call my physiological energy. Then my mental energy, you know, what, what am I what am I thinking about? And and what do I do with my cognition that makes me grow? And what do I do with my cognition that makes me slow? And and a quick example there would be learning makes me grow social media makes me slow right. um, that's my justification for being so bad online but you know emotional energy again there are people who who you know stand close to people who feel like sunshine is a lovely quote and mm-hmm. and there's a reality to that that some studies have suggested 70 percent of our energy comes from non-physiological sources you know and covid was a fascinating challenge to that in the mm-hmm. fact we had this restriction of, of societal engagements we we disconnected and while that brought some opportunities, and, and you know, beyond the, the tragedies of COVID, that brought some professional opportunities and some evolution of services. Um, people need to be with people. You know, that's what we're designed for. You know, we produce a, a hormone that physically makes us feel happier when we touch another person. There is no greater evidence that we're designed to to operate as a as a tribe. Um, and that's again line of best fit. Some people work very well in isolation. But, you know, there's emotional energy, which comes from connection. And then there's what we call spiritual energy, which isn't about, you know, which, which God you believe in or, or faith, but more about purposefulness. Mm. And purposefulness brought back to contribution. So what's my energy like if everything I do doesn't seem to matter? It's very difficult to mm. have yeah. high energy. You know, you could train beautifully, eat, nourish fantastically, sleep well. If nothing you do matters, then you'll find fatigue or fatigue will find you equally within that sort of affirmation from those contributions and we'll talk about this in the corporate well-being sphere that you know it's great to put a gym in there but unless you've got a culture of purpose it's it's not necessarily going to move the dial on on your well-being program
0: well sorry i'm jumping in here because i love this really clear outline actually of the the kind of physical energy mental energy emotional and and purposeful you know does what i'm doing matter that you know how that impacts us and how they're all interlinked and i think it's really important to Yeah, I guess note that because if you have three of these, let's say three of them are really, really high and then one is really low, I think that impacts every other thing on the list. So an example I'm thinking of is is the mental energy and the clarity and focus. If you've got so many different things going on in your life, if you feel as though, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, this feeling of overwhelm, constant, you know, anxiety of of thought, you know, they say I've got lots of tabs open in my brain, you know, feeling like there's just wired but tired, all of that then of course that drains your physical energy your emotional energy as you say your spiritual energy and then likewise if you know if you're i don't know sleep deprived and your body feels tired then you notice that when you uh, you know you might feel less creative or you might feel less able to yeah cope with the challenges of your day because you're physically fatigued so I, yeah i really like that how clearly you've outlined that these four things they do impact energy it's not just the like i said the vibe or the mood and 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 as you said when you meet people who drain your energy or you meet people who energize you you know we all know those people you just as soon as you see them your face lights up your energy lifts i talk fast anyway but when i'm with people that make me more excited i just it's 100 miles an hour and i don't feel tired regardless of you know how long i'm with that person i feel so energized and of course in reverse there are those people where you think oh my gosh you're such hard work you're just bringing me down so yeah i think all these things are of course linked and i don't know how we um yeah, I don't know how we ensure that we're feeding all of them and filling them all up.
1: It's, it's a lifelong challenge. You know, I think <clears throat> that summary is, is perfect. And I think, you know, it, the challenge in well-being is people think that there's a sort of single point solution. So I can go out and say, oh, B12 improves energy. It might do if you've got low B12. If it's not your limiting factor, it's not your solution. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to move more because that brings energy. Well, not if you move enough already. And I think, you know, within the well-being sphere, we have people who are very product led. We might touch on that. Uh, as an interesting component later but what you, you, within this I'm interested in, in finding what is the limiting factor to energy and then putting an intervention there mm. and to do that you know I might have to look broader than my initial scope of practice you know or refer into someone who can who can handle that but you know if someone has got a beautiful you know movement routine someone's got fantastic nourishment you know really all the the controls around sleep controls around stress management I'll touch on those in a moment then improving those things won't be the the, the solution mm. you know it's finding where that energy drain is coming from. Saying that, if someone's energy transposes from, you know, one level to to significantly lower, we like to exclude a clinical reason. So, you know, if someone's walking around with with genuine fatigue, then it'd be nice to check that that wasn't because they don't sleep properly because something like sleep apnea, which is where people, you know, fundamentally close their airways during the night, gasps to wake up and never get into deep sleep. If someone's thyroid has stopped working, it's fantastic, you know, gland in the just below the neck that, that produces a hormone thyroxine. One in three females, maybe one in two over 50 has underactive thyroid. That drives my metabolism. That will affect my energy. Mm. Um, I might have anemia. You know, that will be cyclical with some people with their cycle. And, and again, that would reduce my ability to transport oxygen. So I think there's always a nice caveat to go. If my energies change dramatically you know in the absence of a significant lifestyle or, or life change mm-hmm. then it's nice for a doctor a, a traditional physician to exclude an underlying reason for that
0: can i ask you a question on that because Again. i want to know in your from you how you would describe to people when to know where this line is between the two so some of those things that you were describing you know underactive thyroid or anemia these are conditions but I think for a lot of people, the people that I think of that say to me, yeah, I'm tired all the time. But, you know, I know I don't get enough sleep and my nutrition's not great because I'm too busy. You know, I'm too busy, Adrienne. I can't have this perfect diet. So, you know what? Yes, my breakfast could be better. And yeah, I probably drink a little bit too much. And, you know, I used to train all the time, but I've been really busy with work. So I've stopped exercising. I haven't really worked out for a month. And so they're kind of they're not doing the fundamental things and they know it. But they're kind of saying, yeah, I've got low mood and I feel crap and, you know, my skin's bad and they. But then, when do when should people know, for example, that okay, this is more than just lifestyle, you know modern lifestyle and and fatigue, and when is it, okay, maybe this is something more serious?
1: That's a good point. I think. That, that's that's the classic because people would love a sort of passive solution that means they don't have to change their life mm. and, and I buy that entirely. I think the two key criteria there is, is, is something changed dramatically over a relatively small period of time, you know, four, five, six weeks. That would be significant if, if I take an arbitrary seven and I move to an arbitrary four out of 10 with my energy. That would be enough to say, that doesn't correlate with a lifestyle change. You know, if I'm if I start drinking more and I'm more tired, I can associate correlation and theoretically causation. But you know, if if nothing's really changed in my lifestyle but my energy's changed, I'd like to understand that's not some some inexplicable reason. And again, if I'm waking up after what would be theoretically a good night's sleep yeah. and unrefreshed, that would be a second criteria that that would say, look, you know, lots of people got very scared to bother their physician because of the COVID crisis and mm. and the drain on that resource. But we have to recognise that when our physiology changes if it's it will produce signs and symptoms of that as distress and we don't want to ignore or bully over those Mm. Uh, and all things you know caught and transpired early can be much more solvable so i don't want to send everyone on this you know podcast to a gp but if your if your energy has changed dramatically and your lifestyle hasn't changed and or you're waking up unrefreshed despite refreshing technical sleep that would be a red flag okay Uh, and i think Again, on that central point is—is is I start with a point. that if you have a lifestyle that doesn't combust energy, what, why would you expect energy? Mm. Right? You know, we are a physiological, energetic machine. You know, we run with some pretty logical things. You know, um, I think in the talk that you came to, I talked a bit about the, the misappropriation of exercise and the fact people look at exercise as a medium of burning calories, expending energy. But if we go back to, you know, raw biology, in every energy-combusting cell of the body, we have these little batteries called mitochondria. Love them. Love (laughs) mitochondria. You know, and let me tell you, you've got lots. You've got lots because of the way you lead your life, which is, you know, you regularly aerobically exercise, you overwhelm your cardiovascular capacity, and one of its adaptations to that is to make more batteries in your cells. A big energetic difference between me in my mid-40s and my dad in his 80s would be the density and quality of those mitochondria. Cardiovascular exercise makes more. It fundamentally is the reason why that the quantitative measurement of cardiovascular fitness called vo2 max is probably our strongest single biological marker of age Hmm. so you can check my date of birth and say i don't don't believe this guy's 45 (laughs) or you can do my vo2 max and go actually metabolically he looks more like a i'm going to say 35 year old (laughs) or a 55 year old and that will be probably more correlated with my my length of life than than what it says in my passport Hmm. so i think you know, when, when again someone say I haven't got energy, I say, well, let's make sure we have an infrastructure that builds it. And aerobic, you know, exercise plus daily movement would be baseline for that, along with something as simple as hydration. As we sit here with a glass of water in front of us, you know, I run through chemical signals which move through through a liquid medium. I need to be hydrated within the sphere of energy. If, if we're to, you know, talking about an organization or an individual, sleep will be our biggest opportunity to restore energy you know uh, as with all energetic machines we can expend but we must also recoup Mm. and sleep is is number one so the person let's assume the person's active and the person's well hydrated we'll come to markers of nourishment if that's interesting as well but you know sleep and and discipline around sleep is critical and we talked at the beginning about you know is is there a sort of fatigue epidemic Mm. we didn't but we inferred it and there is uh, but everything around us is contradictory to sleep. You know, caffeine with a half-life between you know, five and 12 hours, depending on your genetic lottery, is running amok in people's biology in, in the early, early hours of the evening. Your exposure to blue light, and this doesn't mean bang on a set of blue light blocking glasses, but, you know, a exposure to, to you know, blue light outside of our natural circadian rhythm, which would not expect blue light in the evening, compromises one of the two mechanisms by which I fall asleep. It, it mm. tricks my brain to think it's the middle of the day. You know, I fundamentally run on a 24 hour cycle driven by exposure to light in the morning, which is why you feel great after your morning run. Um, because your cortisol, which helped, gets you know, a really positive hormone, helps wake you up. That light exposure is part of a, a multitude of events that starts that cortisol to drop down. Mm. And if it doesn't drop down, that will contribute to that tired or wired feeling in the evening. So in the morning, I need that first morning light exposure to down-regulate that hormone. In the evening, I need you know an abundance of red light, an absence of blue light, and a drop in core temperature Um, And that, again, amongst, you know, decreased cognitive stimulation, decreased, you know, stimulus per se, means my brain will produce melatonin. um, And that really helps regulate me into deep sleep cycles. So we've got people who don't see the first morning light, who over caffeinate, who, you know, have no hard stop on technology, um, who fundamentally also recognize that those hormones won't shift, you know, their, their regular pattern daily so if i go to bed one day at you know 11 next day at 3 a.m the next day at 9 those hormones are like what are you doing ollie Mm. you know what's happening so i can't have that wild inconsistency of routine because you know i'm I'm completely confusing the hormones that underpin it and the big you know big within this energy cycle so someone's saying they're tired the the greatest you know miscommunication in the modern world is is the role of alcohol on on stress in the fact that you know, for me, stress, its intercycle with physiology and its intercycle with sleep would be the biggest drain of energy. And the mm-hmm. fact that, you know, most people I'll have to reduce this to, to inaccurate levels of, of summary, but you know, we fundamentally have a, a nervous system that prepares us for expending energy called the sympathetic nervous system, and we have a nervous system that restores energy and, and supports digestion. And we were able to start quantifying that with a technology um, called heart rate variability in, in the 70s. And that's what contributes to devices like Whoop that I wear or Aura or or other high street brands are available. Um, and that technology is effectively quantifying, you know, on a human battery basis, how much of a 24 hour cycle I'm spending, you know, expending energy and how much I'm spending recouping energy. And most people, spoiler alert, are spending too much time with their physiology primed for threat at a low grade level. I wouldn't call it fight or flight. That does it a disservice. But we have a latent, low-level threat that, that by proxy, just sort of disengages my recovery nervous system. Mm. So if I was being technical, I'd say we have an inadequate volume of parasympathetic tone, which is the nervous state where I re- restore energy. If I'm in that state, I'll have increased muscle tension, uh, partly because I have a different respiratory pattern, which is why we're seeing the birth of, of breath coaches, which is a fundamental core skill, people relearning how to breathe more from their diaphragm, their abdominal region than the sort of upper respiratory short, sharp breaths that are associated with being able to get out of danger quickly. But that pattern, again, creates muscle tension, certainly through my trapezius, my neck muscles and and shoulders. And muscle, um, muscle relaxant number one is, is alcohol. Mm. So I come home after that, you know, belting day of, of being in this sort of primed physiological state, which in itself is not unhealthy. And then I open the fridge, have a glass of wine. And what I do is I, I create a muscle relaxant benefit, which makes me go, ah, but my neurology goes, let's get rocking. And, and it's actually a neurological stimulant, which means if I look at your brainwave patterns, they will be in a much higher state of activation during sleep. If we measure your depth of sleep, it will be it will be compromised. If we measure whether you go into that parasympathetic recovery state in in, in sleep, it won't. Mm. So you've got people using alcohol because it helps sleep latency. It will help me fall asleep by reducing that muscle tension. In the same way as in America, I might get prescribed a you know a diazepam, you know, to take that tension away. And again, the addictive capabilities of that. So we've got a, a medication to a symptom of distress. Mm. In the same way as i wake up the following morning after that poor sleep cycle and i medicate the symptom of distress which is fatigue i medicate it with caffeine yes i came in through paddington this morning i don't think there was a single person who wasn't wolfing down some some kind of hot beverage i can't be sure what was in the cups (laughs) but you know fundamentally we've got this wild energetic cycle that means we we are hyper stimulated through the day for reasons you know we have an imbalanced circadian rhythm we're using alcohol as part of our our wind down regime alongside blue light and waking up the next day tired, that then nutritionally will drive me towards more ref- car- carbohydrate-based foods. You get people going, I'm addicted to carbohydrate. Well, I would be if I was knackered.
0: Yeah, well, this is, oh gosh, there's so much in here. There's so much in here. I'm like, this is knowledge and gold. And I knew that it would be, which is why I was so keen to have you on. <laughs> but I think there's a couple of things I've been, you know, noting down while you were talking. One of them was... You know, this, uh, it's not to say that these things are obvious, but when we say to people, OK, if you want to wake up with more energy, you have to sleep and you need to go to bed at a reasonable time and you need to, yeah, take. I always say to people like no tech in the bedroom. It is like fundamental for me. There's no reason for it to be there. No phones, no lights flashing, no ipads no laptops because those things not only do they disrupt sleep as we know because of the light but i feel like from a psychological level they are reminders they totally. are prompts totally. you know they are reminders that say to me emails whatsapp availability somebody needs you to do something so just get your tech out of your bedroom and try and get the good sleep and people can kind of sometimes roll their eyes because they're like yeah i know Jen sleep more okay great That's gonna fix all my problems and they kind of i'm like yes it is but (laughs) it will
2: do a hell of a job we'll do a lot and then
0: yeah and then the alcohol thing again i think is so complex and it's so difficult and i've almost had like this kind of back and forth conversation with one person in particular about alcohol and it's not that i you know i think regular listeners of the show will know that i love a glass of red wine these days but i think it's this frequency thing so i'm on this mission at the moment to try and figure it out because I, you know, I know people that will say exactly what you described after a busy, stressful day. I come home and I just I don't drink a lot, Adrian. I just have one glass of wine or I just have two beers. Like it's not that much. So chill out, you know, and I'm kind of like, okay, but if it's every night or if it's four nights a week or five nights a week, then are you actually getting into deep sleep are you sleeping well and even if it is as you said this kind of nice feeling at the end of the day that's like become almost a habit and a ritual to relax then I guess their pushback to me is well if it's not doing that much harm and it's my ritual it's my thing that I enjoy and it helps me to just unplug at the end of the day then it's only a couple of beers and I you know it's not that big a deal so yeah I mean is it the case that actually you're just kidding yourself you're not going to get in deep sleep if you're drinking alcohol in the evening and that's a choice because we all adults we can make a choice and say you know what i'm not that bothered but if you really do want to feel good if you really want if you say that it's important that you want to have this energy and this vibrancy to live your life to be your best self or whatever then is it worth actually saying you know what cut it out for a bit and maybe just drink at the weekend or maybe shock horror maybe cut it out for 20 days and see actually see how you feel be honest you know and and see if it makes a difference if it doesn't make any difference go back to your you know two beers every night
1: totally i think you know, there's, there's a couple of key points there dosage maketh the poison right so cool. there is a dose dependent question here and my clinical experience of, of measuring sleep through you know the various means the the, the hat you wear to measure brain waves and and all sorts of intelligent heart rate variability metrics so that dosage is far less than I assumed it to be. And you're a bit of a physiological phenomenon if you can get away with anything over two units and get into quality deep sleep. But so
0: is two units one glass of wine? Pretty
1: much, yeah. Okay. One small glass of wine. You know, so I think that's a one, 125 mil, not the the 450 mil that someone bangs into the bucket, you know, on the way home. So, you know, dosage is, is important. I think... Alcohol's done a really great job of trying to pretend it's healthy. You know, people were looking at something like the French paradox, which is why why do French seem to smoke and drink and make love and eat cheese and live, you know, much longer than Americans who do lots of those things, but with with lower quality. And they versions. look better too. I mean, my God. I went to Paris recently and I was like, I'm never coming back here. You know, shamed on the streets. <laughs> the least cool person in Paris, you know, but you know, I I genuinely had to have a lot of introspection when I came back from that. It's so beautiful. Um so you know, that people start sort saying, of "Oh, it's the resveratrol." You know, this antioxidant you can find in the in the in the production of wine. It may have a marginal benefit on cardiovascular health, but alcohol is always a net negative. And and anyone who tries to position alcohol as a positive will possibly have a you know a, an extended remit. To, to, to the alcohol industry it just isn't a or they just thing. it's
0: a personal thing that they love and they cling to so they kind of want to find an excuse which i'm sure we all do with some things to kind of just get themselves off the hook and say you know what you know yeah it's this lifestyle study over there says exactly that mediterranean diet you know they drink wine every night and and it's yeah i think we can often cherry pick you know data or headlines or stats or whatever we want to basically validify our own idea which is I really like this. So if I can find a way to, to make it work for me, then I can say it's healthy.
1: Totally. And and no individual substance is, is completely negative. It's always the context. You know, it's the dosage a, and and if I have a glass of alcohol in a in in amongst everything else being fantastic in my life, I can swallow it up. So I love booze. You know, I love it. And Friday night I'll always have a drink and Saturday I I what I won't do is drink when I'm tired. Right, so, what I've got to bear in mind is I, I love the social engagement. I like the fact that when my shoulders do drop and my banter goes up about three percent, you know, so <laughs> I, I get it, I get a net benefit. I like the version of me after a couple of drinks, I don't turn into a monster. I'll, I'll check with my wife, but you know I, I enjoy what alcohol brings me but i recognize it's at a net cost in the same way as i might enjoy with my kids to go to mcdonald's because i don't want the, the children of you know a well-being expert to be living in a sort of glass box and, and be poked at by all their friends i want
0: <laughs> you're describing <laughs> my son he, he went to he went to mcdonald's for the first time with a friend and i think he must have been maybe honestly nine yeah. um i think it was a friend after school and they went there and literally the, the the friend has siblings and they were all just like yeah they knew what they liked they knew their order they were like this is, i'm having this i'm having that and jude was in the car and said to them what's mcdonald's <laughs> and you can imagine i'm thinking this mother the parents mother must have just thought oh my gosh jude's mum." so anyway what's what's mcdonald's was his first question then he told me that he ordered a cheeseburger because he thought it would just be cheese and bread <laughs> But then when it came and it had meat in it, he took the meat bit out and he ate the cheese and the bread. And then he told me it was so nice. It was so great. It was so delicious. And he was like, why have you never taken me to McDonald's? Nine years.
1: I met you, I mean, A, amazing. And and I think you know, if you if you generally give your children, you know, good quality food, you know, plant-based plant, plant based and, and diverse and, and you give them a good connection with eating. I think the interesting part about McDonald's is, is you know, you don't have to wipe that many other people's bums in your life, but you do have to wipe <laughs> Where's your this going? kids. I'm gonna take you somewhere relevant. <laughs> Where's this going? And let me tell you what wiping a bum after a McDonald's looks like.
2: Oh. Right? And what
1: you've got is, you know, in this in and let's use that's not pillar McDonalds, but you know, in hyper palatable, ultra processed food, mm. this total inadequacy of fibre is is a major challenge. And you know, certainly in the stage, my kids are also nine, um, they're twins age nine. So, you know, the bum wiping years are just behind me, <laughs> maybe a little later than they should have been. But that, that's, a, that's a fallibility as a parent. But, you know, you wipe in the bum of your, let's go five, just to be sort of get cancelled. So I'm wiping <laughs> my five-year-old's bums and post Mackie it, it's slime you know oh, if you wow. are then nourishing them with vegetables etc and we have got to bear in mind people get again confused about what is a whole food diet trying to achieve but most people have an inadequate volume of fiber mm-hmm. you know and and when you see that play out in in literally day one I had McDonald's day two you know I've got a much less you know consistent turd yeah. and and that falls on me that wow. I've got to deal with that and and I think you know again nourishment has been reduced to a calorie thing and of course because it has lacking in fiber because it, it, you know, triggers all these sort of sensory reward systems because mm. of all the, the sugar and that setting off firecrackers in my brain. Kids will love it. It's, it's crack. You know, mm. it really is. But fundamentally, you know, it, it's, it's a big problem to gut health. It's a big right. problem to glucose control. It's a problem to, you know, building a false relationship with food. Mm. But that's not a problem if you do it occasionally. Yeah. So, it, like, like booze and sleep, like McDonald's and and, and wiping bums, it's context, you know. So yeah. if I'm doing it when I've already had a week of bad food, it's not going to work well for me. If I've had a generally good diet, I can afford a you know a, a slimy poo. If I, you know, I've <laughs> had a good week of high energy, then I can have that glass of wine. And the following day, you know, I haven't got to wake up and, and solve a giant strategic crisis in my business. Then I can I can enjoy it. Mm. So we can't demonize a behaviour because. No behavior is demonizable outside of the context in which it's found.
0: Okay. Wow. I mean, to be honest, I also want to look back to this because I cannot continue on before people go, oh my gosh, she's never taken a child to McDonald's as if I'm like, I am not trying to be this smug, perfect parent. Trust me, my son eats some processed foods because that is life. He loves a pizza and yeah. he loves like literally, I'm talking, you know, the kind of cardboard looking margarita, just, you know, probably very low fiber, not very great. Yeah. But, you know, we, they all have their things, right? Yeah. But it was just that specific thing place you know he just had never been he didn't know what it was um so yeah I just want to put that out there before people think that I'm just trying to be this like yeah you know, smug perfect parent it, definitely not that it's
1: great we, we got to eight I think before they had coca-cola and then I just remember looking down at my son, whose eyes were sort of bulging wide. He's like, why have you never given this to me? I was like, for this, this exact is reason. Right. Well, yeah. This exact reason. And you actually know, you maybe... wild-eyed monster. he went mad. <laughs> you were
0: right. like, because I was keeping it all for myself. <laughs> but yeah, I think this is a, another reason when I, actually the why is probably very important because I'll be honest, I grew up in a low-income household and my mum had a very tight budget for when she was shopping. So I grew up on a processed food diet and yeah. I actually think I'm very fortunate that I didn't have, you know, health outcome you know problems but i grew up on you know lots of microwave food Mm -hmm. i remember we had very you know different schedules in the house because i would go to maybe a dance class after school and i'd get the bus there and i'd get the bus home and i might get home late and yeah i'd have microwave meals i remember doing that i remember eating lots and lots and lots and lots of walker's prawn cocktail crisps because they were my favorite so i used to have those i used to go to uh, I used to go to... What's it called? The High Street... Greggs. I used to go to Greggs. And I used to get sausage rolls there. I just remember... I don't remember having a diet that's anything like the diet that I have now or the diet that my son has, which was, you know scrambled eggs avocados tomato bananas just things that we might think are kind of you know obvious things i did not grow up on those things so i think actually maybe i've kind of gone a little bit further on the other side where i'm constantly trying to get due to you know has he had protein in his breakfast and you know my stepkids you know i always say to them oh look at all these different colors and fruits and vegetables let's try and get you know 10 different things on our plates and i'm probably more the other way and also because yeah i think if you are used to eating certain foods i definitely used to eat a lot of sugar and i had a sweet tooth as a result of that it's much harder later on to undo those things totally i just think we well, yeah, my 20s The thought of not eating sugar was just crazy to me. I was like, "What? What?" And and now I, you know, I've really reduced my sugar intake. But it took years of unlearning, and also, I guess your taste buds, everything. So I think maybe, yeah, just thinking, reflecting right now on the spot, why I've never taken my child to McDonald's. It's probably because, yeah, I don't want to set them up for these habits and things that they're going to later probably have to either unlearn or just modify. It's kind of like why make more. It's, yeah, more challenges. It's but, a major uh,
1: challenge, and again, in that point, you know, there is there a huge socio-economic component to yeah. the fact that these foods are, are much cheaper than, than whole foods. And of course, you can say, oh, you can go to the grocers and get these vegetables. There's also a health literacy piece about that in terms of understanding why there's a difference between those foods and understanding how to cook them and prepare them. And that, that those two challenges that I can go to a you know a high street chicken shop and, and feed my kids for one ninety nine, yeah. whereas for me to take the labour costs and the intellect and the the you know the the effort the effort you
0: know know, having a space having time in your diet in your day to go yeah i'm going to chop these things and cook this thing and yeah i think there's also that kind of effort required which yeah if you've got a very stressful life and a low income and you might be working two jobs and you might have three children and there might be so many different challenges that the reality is of course let me just buy something that's cheap and that takes very little preparation and is quick to prepare and quick to consume.
1: Totally. And I think from an energy point of view, we come back to what is it? What is a nutritional behavior that compromises energy, w- which would be consistency of available blood glucose. So, you know, within the average person, we shouldn't have too, too little sugar or glucose in our blood, nor should we have too much. And these foods through both the absence of fiber, but also the presence of added sugars can change the, the glucose in my blood rapidly. And we probably in the, in the 90s, everyone got into this phrase glycemic index, the GI diet and the GL diet, glycemic load. But there's real relevance in that, in the fact that if I consume these these sort of refined carbohydrates, certainly without adequate fat or protein to buffer them, which is what those foods would do, they would change the way they move through my gut and into my bloodstream. But if I'm taking you know refined carbohydrate processed snacks, um, we're going to see rapid you know changes in blood glucose that could trigger the sort of emergency production of insulin, this hormone that that we hear lots about. But we don't want to be producing too much insulin. It can drive Um, fat storage it can drive inflammation this unwanted sort of immune reaction and there's you know nutrition science is a little bit of a war you know between is the reason people are gaining weight because these you know highly palatable hyper palatable ultra processed foods don't trigger a set point that tells me i'm full or and it's not necessarily or it can be and or do they work on this carbohydrate insulin model of obesity and the fact that i'm regularly spiking up my sugars? producing insulin it's bringing that sugar back down that's what mm. it does and storing that sugar as fat slightly irrespective of the of the calorie and intake mm. and so seco calories in calories out there has been a bit of war at carbohydrate insulin the the, the the empirical science sits with calories in calories out but these refined carbohydrate foods are undoubtedly uh, you know, contributors to both models and the challenge to, to what we would call that pattern of bouncing blood glucose which might be called dysglycemia is that also leads to long pockets where my glucose is below optimum level mm. because you know, in consuming my refined cereal breakfast, you know, my sugar spikes up, my body then goes, oh, bloody hell, Ollie, how much sugar's coming? So it overcompensates with the insulin production and then draws my sugar back down not just to normal but below normal which mm. why I might get that sort of and fuzzy can, head
0: yeah you can really feel it can't you so I think uh, like a real example for people if you have a, something really sweet and delicious for breakfast and that kind of hanger that people talk about where they'll say oh you know gets to 11 and they're just so hungry and they say it's like way more hungry than they would normally be at 11 totally. and I think I can definitely uh, think of examples where if I've had a lot of sugar in the evening so if I've said oh you know maybe I've been to the cinema and I've had sweet popcorn maybe I've had some pick and mix some ice cream you know again i used to eat these things all the time but now i rarely do the next morning when i wake up I am for insatiable hunger. It's like you want to eat a roast dinner as soon as you open your eyes. You just literally feel like, oh, I'm starving. How can I be so hungry? And I notice the direct correlation between, oh yeah, that makes sense. I ate loads of ice cream last night.
1: Totally. And it's one where, you know, know, hanger and hangry is really the fact when my glucose drops low, I can't live without glucose, you know. So I need a certain level, certainly to keep my brain running. It it requires glucose availability to my brain. So I, I produce adrenaline to draw stored sugar out of my muscles and my liver so you know i am adrenalized which is you know the same you know neuro well same chemical i produce when i'm in, in stressful situations so i become a sort of angrier version of myself so we change mood states we
0: all feel it you, and, know? you know and
1: at that point again i'm going to make a poor food choice so when my sugar's low and i'm hungry, i'm going to choose refined carbohydrate or caffeine um, or an argument you know which would also increase my blood glucose levels you know, we, And fasting is an interesting one with this because people are sort of trying to work out what does the absence of eating do to continuous glucose monitoring and also and, oh, continuous glucose. And, and for years we've used these monitors. You see people sticking on the back of their arm um, and they've become a consumer product now where people are saying these aren't just for people with um, conditions like diabetes who are trying to monitor their glucose closely. They're sort of being sold into now the athletic community to optimize well-being and performance. And there's some validity in the logic of that. There's mm. not, again, empirical evidence that, 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 that these things change behavior or that they reveal patterns in advance of, of a problem. But they're interesting for sure. Mm. So you put a, a continuous glucose monitor on, and some people, when they don't eat, have more stable glucose than when they do eat, you know, irrespective of the foods. And some people fast and, and their glucose is great. Others fast and their glucose dips and they get really angry. Mm. You know, I've, my wife has tried various different forms of fasting, she can't do it you know she she gets an absolute rage on so i don't have breakfast (laughs) i can't do it i was like you have breakfast because you know you you will have a a compromised mood state but that that ability to to say how do i react to the carbohydrate and foods that i eat um, is now monitorable through these sort of high street brands that allowing you to stick a little sticker on your arm and then you get your real-time blood glucose over you know a couple of week period and i think that's quite an exciting technological development
0: well, you bring me on perfectly to the next thing I want to discuss with you, because I did say at the start of the show, we could probably talk for five hours, but sadly, we're not going to be able to. And that is this idea of products and high street and well-being kind of becoming this real you know, commercial industry, which essentially wants to sell us lots of stuff. Now, I am the ultimate consumer. I'll be honest with you I like stuff you know I had a guest on at the start of this year called Chris Lovett and he is a minimalist he talks about minimalism and I loved that episode so much and I thought you know what it's going to change my life I am going to buy less stuff because you know we all consume too much stuff let's be honest I also really like the mindset of minimalism so you know focusing on less to enjoy more you know clear space just I like the idea so much but in practice, I am a consumer. I love stuff, so so I didn't want to like be like, right? Why are we all buying so much stuff? <laughs> but I do think today I you mentioned this in the in the talk that I watched about you know all the things that we can buy versus all the things that we can do. Now again at the beginning I talked about overall health, not the optimum, not the peak, not the superhuman ultra marathon, but overall health. So feeling good, having energy, sleeping well. Having a nice complexion, not having bloating, just feeling good. So, of course, the wellbeing industry says, here's all the stuff you need to feel good. You need to buy this probiotic. You need to buy this massage ball. You need to buy this face cream. You need to pay for this treatment. This, like, I don't know, face massage treatment or colonic treatment or some other treatment. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of other things, but I'm sure I can, there's many more. You mentioned sleep mist that you spray on your pillow because that's going to make, make up for the four hours of sleep that you're lacking. All these things we can buy, 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 buy. I and mean, I mentioned this to someone the other day he kind of I don't know looked a bit awkward and looked a bit quiet and I was like what's going on with you and he basically was like yeah I've just booked this kind of like weekend thing for next year which is essentially one of those places where you go for the weekend and you're not going to eat much you might do a blood test when you get there I think they do stool samples you exercise every day you fast every day it's basically like come to us for four days cleanse your everything and then go home and then he basically was like yeah because i just have been feeling really crap i've had low energy i've had low and i'm gonna come back and i'm gonna feel great (laughs) and he basically was like is that gonna happen (laughs) am i wasting my money and again no judgment this isn't about you know name and shame but i basically just said to him look i love you i want you to feel good and i hope that you will enjoy it and come back and feel good but if you come back to the same lifestyle, to the same habits, to the same behaviors, to the same diet, to the same life, it's not going to last for long. So Oliver, with all of that, tell us what's going on. What do we need to actually do? What do we need to buy? What do we not need to buy? And I'm just going to push it over to you.
1: It's a great question. I was nodding frantically when you were saying that, (laughs) if anyone's listening, like a nodding dog. Yes. Yeah. And and I think, you know, products can have a place. right? So we're not here to demonize products. And I was you know, meandering down Oxford Street the other day and and uh, I got sort of gravity sucked me into Primark, you know, getting something for my daughter and again, trying to avoid, you know, fast fashion, etc. But she wanted some particular thing. So I popped in there and I was like, Oh my God, there's a well-being section. I was like, what, should, what, what lies beyond, you know, sprinted up the stairs to find a sort of a range of different coloured candles. I was like, fabulous. You know, <laughs> uh, now is a candle well-being. It's a great, it's a great sort of central point it's not not well-being but you know well-being's got such a loose definition a state of being happy healthy or comfortable that it's dominated by products so at a sort of 4.2 trillion um you know global ticket it's mostly topical skin creams
0: retinol that is what that is
1: and god you know there's a place do you know <laughs> what what is? i do yeah, yeah. And, you know, and there's a place for it you know yeah. and it, and it will serve a purpose now you take a product and you say what how would that product fare on altering my you know my, my countless cells, or the billions of cells in my body that have got used to behaving a certain way over forty five years of both my genetic, you know, landscape, my environment and my behaviors. The idea that I would put something onto my skin that would create a cellular change across that biology in a short period of time, is 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 near enough madness. Oh
0: no, you're now, crushing my dreams. No, no, no. Because I do, I do love my night like serum and cream. And they do
1: work, you know. Again, and there's this <laughs> within that pace. sphere, magnificent. Right? <laughs> for those listening, magnificent. You know, this is a living, breathing example for energy and skin. God, um, but you know, within within the sphere of of what moves the dial more, you know, it's it's wild to think a passive solution would ever have the same impact as a as a as a dynamic solution. So really we, we, if I look at well-being and you can look at health on the same spectrum that we are the sum of the aggregate inputs that nourish our physiology versus the aggregate inputs that, that challenge our physiology right so today there's been hundreds maybe thousands of things that have been detrimental to my physiology I've inhaled pollution I woke up to an alarm I traveled in a car with fixed positions I put fabrics on my skin I've you know there's lots of things I didn't drink enough water I didn't have a, a you know I had a a latte you know these things challenge my physiology a bit but I've done lots of good things too I mentioned to you I was late for a meeting so I sprinted across London and um, so I got lots of dynamic movement in. I haven't overeaten so my gut has had time to heal and um, I've thought positive thoughts about myself because you know why not it's a, it's a Thursday so you know my my inputs into my body today are an amalgam of things that challenge me and things that nourish me and if I don't feel the way I want to feel then I have to move the, the either side of those scales and ideally both and the big things on those scales are in the domains of movement quality positive negative nourishment quality positive negative my recovery which is my ability to go into quality sleep to manage stress my ability, my ability to turn off inflammation so that's three movement nutrition recovery but also my mindset you know, am I criticising myself that I was late for that meeting or am I going what a legend you are running across London with your backpack <laughs> on Again, two perspectives on every situation. So, where the fields of positive psychology and, and psychological fitness can really help people to to view the way they view themselves differently, but also environment. You know, I can lead a wonderful lifestyle if I'm bolted onto the side of a smelting plant. You know, in in deeply polluted aspects of of the world, I'll probably get ill. So my physiology is responding to the the aggregation of those inputs, and they move the dial. Now, a product may work within that as a as a percentage. So, if we look at recovery. You know my ability to turn off inflammation. So if I go for a run, you know we we are both. You know, do people know that what you're doing with your running? Well, I don't know. Let's,
0: you're running. We're, we're, both, we're, training. Running. we're, we're both, both training. We're both training. We're both training. We're doing endurance events. We're both doing year.
1: endurance events. And and you know, anyone who knows me listening to this will be more surprised about people <laughs> than those listening to you. We're but running we, it together. Well, oh God. Well, n- nearly. I'll be. I'll try and catch a glimpse of you as you fly past. So you know. Within the training volume, we create damage, and that damage creates inflammation. Now, products like Hyperice, you know, will, will be selling us products that reduce that inflammation. That that and there's robust evidence to say that they do contribute to that, but not as much as sleeping, not as mm. much as hydrating, not as much as restoring carbohydrate load, not as much as having adequate protein.
0: But all these things take effort, Ollie.
1: They do get, effort, but you what, cream what you've got, putting
0: cream on my face feels nice and doesn't take effort. Going to bed an hour early. <clears throat> takes effort totally so
1: I'm there to let's imagine that, that using a product gives you a 5% benefit but doing all those behaviours gives you an 80% benefit if off the 5 you feel good enough then, then no qualms to answer my, my perspective is not making people feel guilty we came to this about the democratisation of well-being. it's not that you're guilty for the presence or absence of a behaviour if you're listening to this and you feel the way you want to feel with the blend of products and services and lifestyle you have then, then love it if you're sat there with, with inadequate energy and not the energy you had or feel that you ought to have then we want to try and move the dial on those scales with those behaviors before we look for products. So again, the sleep one's a good example. I can't offset the behavior of no breaks at all during the day, no activity, which would build what we call sleep pressure, misuse of caffeine, misuse of alcohol with a demisting spray. spray. Right? It's not powerful enough to override my physiology. And mm. my physiology doesn't really change much over anything smaller than a six-week period either. Mm. So going back to your friend who's interested in a retreat, that will be a wonderful opportunity to to have a, you know a low level cleanse. You know, have two days where is detox the absence of tox? It could be. You know, will they markedly increase their activation of their liver, their kidneys, their sweating? They'll engage them, but they can break a cycle of behavior that they come back and, and transpose into. So your point is, it's a, it's great if you change what you do when you finish it. If you're asking two days to save three hundred and sixty three, it ain't going to do it. And and I think. That's not the the well-being provider's job to explain that to you. Hmm. And I think we have a challenge that almost everyone is well, everyone is curating their life based on the bias of products that say they're the solution, or not just the, the bias of a of an organization selling you its product, but the bias of people messaging on survivor bias. So we talked about B12 earlier. If I've got low B12, That will inhibit my ability to to manufacture blood that will inhibit my energy production you give me a you know a a b12 jab in the bum and i'll be you know i'll be like my son after he had that coke you know bright eyed (laughs) bouncing off the walls because you've 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 taken my limiting factor and you've boosted it if i then go on social media and go everybody get a b12 in your bum there's a lot of people who will be getting a false negative which is I told them it was going to be something and it, and it wasn't their reason mm-hmm. I, I misled them in many ways yeah. One, um,
0: yeah the one size fits all approach which as we know is just ridiculous because we're all so different and need different things so
1: different and and you know, and I, I just think again if you're strong in a domain, and let's go back to those five domains, that you know, the movement, nutrition, recovery, environment, mindset, if you're strong in some of those, then looking to be stronger may not be the solution. Mm-hmm. And and that's where I feel certainly in the fitness industry, it, it's fragmented a bit like the medical industry. You know, I worked for many years on Harley Street and you've got an endocrinologist checking your hormones, but then the gastroenterologist doesn't factor that in while he's looking at your stomach acid and and then the you know the cardiologist ignores your stomach when he's looking at your heart and the neurologist is looking at the brain and we're one organism but then i i leave that and go oh thank god i'm in the fitness profession which doesn't talk enough about diet and the nutritionists that don't talk about sleep and the sleep consultants who don't talk about mindset and you would say have we just replicated this fragmented approach because it led to quicker market products but didn't actually reflect the way the body works which is we are a holistic integrated organism that needs someone to curate what's our limiting factor to find us our most effective strategy
0: Mm, yes and whether you like it or not that's the truth and I think do you know what I mean by that because I think when I say whether you like it or not it's because other things in our lives may have changed so for example we may be able to work 24 7 round the clock. We may be able to access food 24 7 round the clock. We may be able to access entertainment and TV and phones and all these things 24 7 round the clock. But our physiology has not changed and evolved and enhanced. We've not upgraded. We've not had an up, update your settings to say that you can now match that lifestyle. And I think that is where, for so many of us, it sounds again so people roll their eyes when I say, you know, go back to basics, literally fundamental things of you know sleeping when it was dark because there was no sunlight sleep in a cave make your room really dark or yeah these things around you had to move because you couldn't sit and be sedentary for the entire day you know we had to move so these simple things which are simple you know they're not i'm not telling people things that they've never heard before but i think because of all these other things and again i'm you know i'm always talking about innovation and all these future technologies that are going to help our fitness and well-being and i think there's a place for those things to be additive totally only if we've got the fundamental stuff it can't be an add-on that's going to replace it
1: totally they can refine our strategy so Mm. you know i can use technology that's monitoring my sleep and my movement to refine my strategy i can use you know intelligent testing to refine my diet i can i can use air pollution monitors to monitor my air pollution you can use technology definitely but we will be the sum of our behaviors fundamentally and in those behaviors equally is is our mindset but you know it's not a separate element so i think you know when, when people are looking for the solutions and and why this is positive on a socio-economic level most of these things are relatively cheap at the point of access mm. you don't need to spend x amount on you know i've mentioned you've got an infrared sauna um you know blanket because that's part of my running recovery system but i could just do you know an extra five minute stretching i could you know make sure my omega-3 and my diet was a little higher i could take more vitamin d i compensate for that information in a different way um, but that's me being a bit lazy and so that's where a product buys me some efficiency hmm. that i recognize in my current state of life i, I, I may not be able to backfill. um well, so I, think,
0: I think we're going to definitely i think we are going to have to do another episode next year because as you said we're both going to be endurance training and i know a lot of other people will be so maybe we can do a specific episode focusing on endurance training recovery mindset oh. ego oh. and what happens when you put on that botch and it starts beeping telling you the time <laughs> so let's do that in the new year for sure Sadly, I knew this would happen. It's coming to the end. And we I want to talk to you about the power hour. So the concept. uh, Are you familiar with the concept? You're familiar with the concept. So it's been years. So anyone who's been listening to this show for a long time, I will give the short version. But it's just about the first hour of your day, about reclaiming that time. It's not about get up earlier and do more and add more stuff to your life. It's actually saying if you often think that you're time poor, what is the thing you would love to do with an extra hour of every day? And then make it happen. Prioritise it. Carve out an extra hour and add guardrails and ensure you get some time, some time back. So, Oli, tell us, what time do you typically wake up in the morning? Do you have a power hour? What does the first hour of your day include?
1: I, I thought about whether I came up with one of those perfect paras. You know, when people are give, ask for their, their their daily diet and they write this sort of the, the most ridiculous diet ever and you're like, you never eat like that. Um, I, so I'm going to be totally truthful. For years, you know, I've, I've been more of a night owl. My, my, my chronotype is, is more towards the evening. So I found mornings tiring. And for many years, certainly when I moved out of London and, and became a, a middle-aged commuter dad, which is a depressing sentence in itself, um, <laughs> I found that I was getting up so early that didn't feel like the addition of hour was paid back in the benefit across the energy of the day that changed and and actually you know inspired by people who really were showing me the morning ritual as part of their 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 life and and you've been talking about this for a long time my good friend and business partner harry jameson you know is a is a big believer in morning rituals and and you know, I was stubborn, but I did I did engage. And, and now, so I wake up at about 6.22, one snooze. I know you're not meant to have a snooze, but I like it. I love the feeling of falling asleep, so I get a little dose of that. Um, and then my wife and I, you know, we, we again, middle-class madness, got a Peloton in, in lockdown. Boo. And we, um, you know, I, again, when I look at exercise, I'm fascinated by exercise. I'm naturally more aerobic. I don't carry huge volumes with lean tissue. But I once went to a yoga class and the, the instructor said, um, what's happening with the tin man at the back? And the reason for that is I am, you know, inflexible, immobile. Oh, that's rude. I thought it was rude, but I thought it was also very funny, and I, I like the nickname. So, you know, in fact, I went to a physio the other day. So these can't be your hamstrings. You know, these must be your sons because they don't fit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, I need mobility more than anything, and in that mobility, I've, you know, I've tried endurance training in the morning. I've tried high intensity work. I cannot do it. It's, it doesn't fit with me. Um, but I found movement is is a blessing. So we wake up. At six thirty, and then we do my wife and I. You know, we we what's the word we cast the peloton to the TV and we do um, Pilates every morning, nice and um, five days a week, not seven days a week. Because, um, we, we we try to have the kids come into bed with us in the in the weekend as part of our ritual as well. And then the, the beauty of my change in working circumstance during during COVID, which was going from being involved in a, in a dynamic medical clinic to, to consultancy roles, etc., is I wanted to be at home more. Uh, and and we have a a really lovely half hour with the kids which is the other half of that so we have a time to ourselves as a couple which which works on my limiting factor from a, from a training point of view um then in that getting up and and not rushing the morning with the kids so it's a bit of weird but we wake the kids up by like jumping into bed you know and 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 have a snuggle uh, and you know i've got twins in different rooms so we sort of cross over and you know i don't know they they will not be ready for the real world when someone slaps them in the face you know they, they get sort of stroked awake you know whispering into you, it's morning it's very sort of the waltons if anyone was around with that it's ridiculous but it's it is you know a joyous stage of my life where they want me to hang around i'm, yeah. I'm popular to them so i'm squeezing every inch out of that and i think that might become a longer exercise hour or you know, potentially meditative. I I've, I learned um, uh, TCM to so transcendent, transcendental meditation with the London School of Meditation. Who shout out to to Jill and Michael, absolute legends over there. And that sort of formally twenty minutes of meditation in the morning, twenty minutes later in the day. A- and I worked with that, but but again, based on heart rate variability, cortisol, my sense of energy. I, I'm not someone who's particularly highly wound up. So I think in time I'll bring that in as a more regular part of my routine. Mm-hmm. But at the moment I swap what is effectively a morning ritual of meditation for just pure um, emotional comfort blanket for myself and my wife and and the kids. So that's my hour. 30 minutes Pilates, 30 minutes cuddling and and slow wake up and then we crack on.
0: Sounds dreamy. (laughs) It sounds great. No, I love that. This is why I love hearing different people's morning routines because you never know what they're going to say, you know? I've had everyone from celery juice drinkers, cold shower, breath work, dog walkers to people that say actually they they don't wake up till i know they wake up different time every day with no alarm i've had people that say they have absolute chaos in the mornings because of kids and cats and dogs and things and they actually don't you know get any moment of peace until everyone's left the house so yeah i love hearing different people's approaches to the power hour and it sounds like it sounds like a wonderful time for you with your family and as you said sadly nine years old it's not going to be that many more years before actually there'll be a sign on the door that says oh my god gaming I'm keep out
1: so not ready and i try to continually reinvent ourselves to, to stay with you know with with the gang but it is it's you know when we come back to that emotional energy i spent my life you know one, one of my jobs was looking after ultra high net worth individuals healthcare, and and people who'd achieved everything in the world and so often the the cost of that success was real happiness or, or real Um, closeness with the things that that, you know we know when our end comes from people in palliative care it's going to be about the time we spend with our family and the time we spend with loved ones and it won't be about the accumulation of wealth or assets so I I have been lucky enough to see that firsthand not that money doesn't contribute to the ability to to have a happier life but um, there can be nothing better than this stage of life uh, with those people so I, I keep my eyes on that.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much, Ollie. I've absolutely loved this. And as I said, I've already, without, I'll put you on the spot now because I've already booked you in for next year <laughs> before asking your permission. Um, permission but I'm, sh- given. I'm sure the listeners have loved it as much as I have. And of course, let us know if you've enjoyed this episode and also share it with someone else who you think might uh, get value from hearing something that we've talked about today. As always, I appreciate absolutely every single one of you that tunes into the show. And I'll be back next week with another episode. See ya.